Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. I'm looking at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and verses 1 to 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 to 24. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and family together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son that said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and killed it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Recently, I have been using parables, the parables of Jesus, as the basis for my message. The parables of Jesus are windows into the kingdom of God. And two messages ago, I spoke from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, where Jesus told three parables on planting seed. And in those parables, we saw the power and the potential of the kingdom of God. Two weeks ago, we studied Luke chapter 14, where we found three banquet parables. And in them, we discovered the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
So today we're going to be looking at another group of three parables. And their theme is seeking. They're commonly called or known as the parables of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost uh, coin, and the parable of the lost son. But they could be just as easily entitled as the parable of the seeking shepherd, the parable of the seeking woman, and the parable of the seeking father. The central message is our Lord is a hunter. He is seeking and inviting us into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I just want to briefly clarify what is meant by the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus came to earth as a king, and he came to establish a kingdom. And eventually he will consummate that kingdom when he comes at his second coming. But until then, he establishes his rule in the hearts and lives of all who follow him. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we must surrender the kingdom of self. We must renunciate the control of our lives and give it over to Jesus Christ. And we live out then the life of Jesus Christ. We follow his sacrifice, we practice his forgiveness, we show his love, and we share his grace. The three parables that are before us today reveal a core value in the kingdom of heaven. They demonstrate the compassion our Lord has for a hurting and lost world. And they who are part of the kingdom, those who are citizens in the kingdom of heaven, share his empathy. Their hearts are broken by the same things that break the heart of our Lord. To understand the, the, the parables of the lost, uh, the three lost, uh, the lost son, the lost uh, coin, and the lost sheep, it's important that we notice the introductory verses because the parables hang on these verses. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, Luke sets up the parable for his readers. He, set, he wrote, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Luke introduced to us here two groups of people. First, there are the tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors are named along with sinners, not because people have always hated paying taxes. That's not why we call them sinners. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were despised for two reasons. First, they worked for Rome. Rome ruled Jerusalem, and the Jews reviled the intrusion of these foreigners. And anyone who would cuddle up with Rome would not be welcome for supper. Second, tax collectors were cheaters. While Rome set the tax rate, only the tax collectors knew it. It wasn't put, put out on CBC News. Only they uh, that these tax collectors could amend the rate to whatever they liked. And tax collectors were the notorious swindlers. And they could demand from the taxpayer anything they wanted, basically. 
And Rome did nothing to stop their double dealing. And so they became synonymous with the worst kind of people of all kinds of people. People who would cheat family, friends, and neighbors just for a few extra bucks. They were hated. And they were ostracized. You find an example of that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, where Jesus was going through Jericho, and uh, he, he uh, met this man, this little guy, Zacchaeus. And, and Jesus said that he was going to uh, go to the home of Zacchaeus. And the response of the people of Jericho was, in, in Luke 19, verse 7, the people muttered, muttered. This man has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's in, 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 in quotation marks. Gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now the second group that was part of the story were the Pharisee, was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. The, the, the Pharisees began as a grassroots movement. And, and their goal was to save Jerusalem and Israel from the influence of Greek culture that was brought in by Roman rule. So their purpose was to conserve Israel's true religion. But eventually, as, as they expanded and grew, they became a people of influence, especially in Jerusalem. However, in their diligence to preserve their religious and cultural identity, they neglected the weightier matters of the law, such as love and compassion, mercy and grace. And they developed a critical and a very condemning spirit for anyone who refused or did not walk in line with their teaching. And they were especially, uh, uh, they especially censored the tax collectors. They, they showed their vile hatred for the tax collector. So Luke tells us that they reacted to Jesus, to his welcoming of tax collectors in the, and sinners, in the same way that the people of Jericho reacted to Jesus when he went to the home of Zacchaeus as a guest. They also muttered. So you see it used in Luke chapter 19, and you see it here in Luke 15. Both, of the, both groups muttered. They muttered saying, and the Pharisees muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This was more than just a statement of fact. This was a statement of condemnation. See, the Pharisees were disturbed that Jesus not only declined to denunciate tax collectors and sinners, he actually welcomed them when they sought him out. And their sternest disapproval for Jesus was the fact that he would even sit down and eat with them. In their mind, this was the most outrageous of all behaviors because to fellowship with someone around a table was to befriend them. And it was in their minds almost as if Jesus was equating himself with these outrageous people. They could not understand Jesus doing this. They thought that Jesus, in doing this, was opposing everything that was good and everything that was right about life 
and about their religion. So Jesus answered this muttering. He answered it through these parables. And in these parables, he explains why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And in the parables, we begin to understand the mission of Jesus and consequently the mission of every person who says that they are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' approach to the spiritually lost is the same as that of a parent to a lost child. All of us, or most of us, have experienced the adrenaline spike when you've turned around, maybe in your backyard or in a department store, and for a brief second, you cannot see the toddler that you have been left in charge of. You've, you've experienced that, haven't you? When you've turned around and went, where are they? And if you don't lay eyes on them within 60 seconds, you are in full-blown panic. And if you can't find them in five minutes, you're putting out a whole team of people. You're asking everybody you see. You're doing a major search and, and, and seeking that one that was lost. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was seeking the lost. And he seeks the lost because he loves them. But he also seeks the lost because he knows the danger if they are not found. His heart is the same as the heart of a parent. Who says, if I don't find that child within five minutes... I know the child is in danger. There's possible danger. Now, I've already referred to the story of Zacchaeus and how the people muttered when Jesus decided to be a guest in his home. And Jesus responded to their muttering. This is a good verse to memorize, okay? Luke 19, verse 10. I, I recommend you memorize this verse. It's the verse of it's Jesus saying that he, son of man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He states his purpose. This is why he put on human flesh. This is why he walked among us. This is why he entered our world. He came as a hunter. The purpose is to seek and to save the lost, and he's still doing that work today through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we interpret parables, the temptation is we try to allegorize them. But the better way is just try and find a singular point. Take the parable as a whole. Because the lesson is usually one point, not a bunch of points. However, with that being said, we, we can't help but wonder why Jesus basically told the same story using three different subjects. Why did Jesus say the same story in choosing the subject of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son? Why? We don't know, but I think they provide 
different perspectives on his seeking love. See, his love is like that of a shepherd's devotion to his sheep. A key characteristic of a shepherd's heart is their sacrificing love. David, King David, when he was a shepherd, what, what did he say? He said, I faced both a bear and a lion to defend the flock. He risked his life for his sheep. And Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he gave his life for the sheep. So in the parable, the shepherd searched for his sheep, Luke tells us, until he found it. The word until tells us that he was tenacious. His passion was for this lost sheep, and he would sacrifice all comforts until he found it. He would, he would not eat. He would miss sleep. He would cancel all of his schedule because his one desire is, I must find this sheep of mine who is lost. That's all that mattered. And it was for this reason why Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He was willing to forego his reputation to spend time with them. He knew that he was putting himself in circumstances where he was open for criticism by eating with them. And he understood that in the long run, it would cost him his life. But he still did it because he had a, a heart, a sacrificing heart for the sheep. And Jesus still seeks the same way. And he calls on us, and this is what the point I want you to get. He calls on us in the kingdom of heaven to set aside everything in order to find the lost. That's our mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. And he still seeks and saves the lost, but he does it through us, his church. And second, his love is like the faithful love of a spouse. Now, scholars tell us that we don't know the actual value of, of the woman's lost coin. We don't know the value. Most most. That commentators or people that I read say it wasn't of great value. They don't think it had great monetary value. It, the value, it seemed, and this is a supposition, the value it seemed was that women in that time had a, wore a headdress of 10 coins if they were married. So it was a symbol of her, her marriage, much like a diamond ring or a wedding ring is today. And if this is correct, then it becomes very significant to the story. I could ask you, how do you search for a wedding ring that's lost? How, how, how do you go about that? Well, the hunt is, is more than for its monetary value, although today in today's world that, that can be significant. But the ring is a symbol of love. And, and, and it, 
it's a symbol of a, a vow taken before God. And you say, well, I, I could just go out and buy another one, but there's not one like the one that's on your hand that was placed there by your spouse at a, at a wedding altar. It holds value because of where you received it and who gave it to you. And if the coin, if the coin was a token of the wedding vow, we know why the woman searched diligently for it. And her search would match all the desperation of the heart of the shepherd. She would be distracted. She would be unaware of anything else around her. You could likely come in and, and speak to her and walk out, and she would not even have heard you. And she would not eat, and she would not sleep, and she would not rest until the token of her love was safely in her hands. You see, the love of God is a unique kind of love. It's a covenant love. It's a marriage-type love. It's a wedding vow love. God's love is not fickle. He does not change like the weather. And he is not moody. His love is steadfast and abiding. It is the love of love found in a wedding vow. And God wants to enter into a covenant with those who are lost. He wants to give to them his love and draw them into his heart. And it was this love that compelled Jesus to eat with tax collectors and sinners. See, Jesus wasn't just out looking for a good friends on Friday night. Jesus wasn't trying to be the, the most populous religious leader of the year in searching for these people. He was with them, he ate with them, he rubbed shoulders with them because he loved them and they were lost and he knew they needed his love. And he searches with the same love today. And this is the love. This is the covenantal, the faithful, the fixed, steadfast love that is found in the church. As we not only love each other in Christ, but we love the world around us. We're calling them to this steadfast, faithful love. We're calling these people who are lost to feel the love of Christ. There are many today all they want in life is to be loved. And we have that message. We have the word for them. And then thirdly, Jesus' love is like the enduring love of a parent for a child. Jesus began the story by saying a son asked his father to share his inheritance. He wanted his inheritance right away. Now, I think there would have been a gasp. That went through the audience. There's surely a lot of looks of bewilderment because, because this, was, this request was absolutely shameful. It, it was as if this young man was saying to the father, Dad, you're just living too long. And uh, if you're not going to die, I want your money. Can I have my inheritance? I want it now. Now this request shows us the nature of the son. He's extremely self-centered. 
See, it's all about him, and it's all about now. I need it now, and I want it now. And if you don't give me now, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go into a tantrum. Now, just as astonishingly, the father obliged the son, and he gave the youth a portion of the, his portion of the estate. And the young man went out and squandered all of his wealth in wild living. He lived high until he was brought low. And in the irony of the story, this young man ended up feeding pigs, an unclean animal according to the Jewish law. Now, the young man didn't eat and dream about bacon and ham steaks. He, he said, man, if I could just eat what the pigs were eating, I'd be happy. And eventually the son decided to return home, and he, and he, he planned to offer himself as a slave in the father's house because the slaves in his father's house were doing better than he was. And so while he was a long way off from home, his father saw him and was filled with compassion towards him. And he ran, the scriptures say, towards the son, and he kissed him. G. Campbell Morgan makes a, uh, uh, an illuminating comment here. The Greek word for kissed is he kissed him much. And Morgan said if we would have it in good colloquial English, he smothered him with kisses. And later the father would have a party. But, but how do I put this in, in perspective? How do I draw this for you? Well, you've likely seen it on a newscast where, where a soldier comes back from serving uh, time overseas and they surprise a spouse or maybe a mother or maybe children. You've seen that, haven't you, on the news? And, and if you're honest, even you men, some of you are tempted to wipe a tear from your eye. Because the reunion is just absolutely amazing. I mean, they're hugging and they're laughing and they're crying all at the same time. Well, if you can take that and, and just hold on to it for a bit and then just transcribe it to God, you start to begin to understand how God is longing for the lost. How he's longing to bring the lost home how he wants them. And the father ordered a feast because he thought his son was dead, but he's alive, he was lost, and is found. The father never quit looking for the son. Why? Because he was his son, and he has a father's heart. And that's why parents love their children. Long after everybody else says they're irredeemable. After everybody else says, you know, you'd just be better to wash your hands of them. They're rascals. They're no good. They're going to wipe you dry. They're going to clean out your cupboard. They're going to take everything from you. Why do you bother with that person? And the parent says, but they're my son. And they're my daughter. And that's why. And that, that's reason enough. See, a parent's love endures, hoping that one day their hurting child will be healed or their lost son or their lost daughter will be found. And that is why Jesus ate with tax collectors 
and sinners. Because he knew his father's heart. And he knew that his father was watching and longing and wanting these who he ate with to return home. He was doing it. See, who would tell them that the father loved them? It wasn't going to be the church. It wasn't going to be the religious leaders because they despised them. They separated themselves from them. And Jesus said, I need to let them know. And the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as you develop it as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you put on more and more every day a father's heart. A heart for the lost. For those who don't know them. The love a parent has for a wayward child. The citizen of the kingdom of heavens, his or her heart hurts as much as the father hurts. And whatever disturbs the father disturbs the citizens. So in the parables, Jesus' love is not only realized in the seeking, it's also realized in the rejoicing. All the parables contain celebrations of joy. The shepherd who lost his sheep and the woman who lost her coin called friends and neighbors together and said, Rejoice with me. And they go, Why? Why? Well, I found my lost sheep. I found the lost coin. Sandra told us how we could celebrate that. Celebrate. And the parable of the lost son, the father held a feast, a banquet. Do you remember? message two weeks ago we talked about banquets there's going to be a great banquet we're going to kill the fatted calf it's going to be a great time he held a banquet so in the first two parables Jesus likened the joy of the shepherd and the woman to the joy in heaven when one sinner repents the joy in heaven when one sinner repents you know, I, I don't think Jesus could have walked up and slapped those Pharisees across the face any harder than what he did when he said those words. Because in essence, what he told them is, those who you despise, these here, that who, who you demean and who you will toss aside, heaven welcomes and they celebrate. They rejoice over these people. You, you, have, you esteem them of no value. But heaven has put a great value on them. And in essence, here's what he said to them. You know nothing of the heart of God. Isn't that awful? To be religious and know nothing of the heart of God. And Jesus stressed the point at the end of the third parable when he added to, uh, about the, uh, the uh, eldest son who refused to celebrate his brother's homecoming. See, the oldest son had no time for those who squandered their lives in wild living. See, the father could not make the older brother understand because the older brother was much like the younger brother when the younger brother left home. He also was self-centered. It was all about him. It was all about his work. It was all about his sacrifice, all about his good things, all about what he was doing. 
Now, he didn't squander his father's possessions in wild living. He squandered his father's possessions by not enjoying them. He wasted all that his father had simply because he couldn't enjoy it. He couldn't understand it was for him. God, the father had given him everything he had. Oh, and he kept working. And he squandered it all. See, he focused on the drudgery and not on the joy. And he only knew the father's expectations, but he never knew the father's love. And so he had this, this kind of religion that just sort of leaves you miserable. And everybody wonders why you have it. Because it's not working. So I'd like to apply the lessons of the parable to three groups today. First, let me say to those who are seeking, to those who are praying for a lost child, maybe a lost parent, a lost sibling, a lost friend, a lost school chum. God's put somebody on your heart and you're praying, you're seeking the lost. I'm going to say to you, don't quit. Your heart is one with the Father. The Spirit agrees with your spirit and he encourages you to keep seeking. And second, let me speak to us as a church. We're called to be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We're called to follow Jesus' example. We're called to be hunters. So let's assure, ensure that nobody ever walks into our gatherings without being welcomed. And, and let, let's, let's be conscious that everywhere we go, we meet the lost. And we have a mission and a duty to those people. To love them. And before we leave their presence, in some way, in the way we act, something we say, we let them know that we are people of God's love. And finally, to anyone here, and maybe someone watching online, do you feel lost? You know something is missing in your life. Your life has no, no, no purpose. You, you, you don't know what it's all about. You've experienced guilt for your past. Most of the time, you only know condemnation for what you've done. And you wonder. You wonder if God loves you and even has a place in his heart for you. And maybe, maybe I'm talking to someone who has experienced rejection and sadly, that rejection came by somebody who went to church. And you mistaken that rejection for God's attitude towards you. Well, first, what I want to say to you is I want to apologize. I want to apologize on behalf of the church. And I will confess that we as a church sometimes forget our mission. And we sometimes become self-centered, not centering on the kingdom of heaven. But here's what I want to say to you. Don't walk away from Christ because someone failed to show his love to you. Don't give up on Christ because somebody didn't do a good job reflecting him. See, the truth is, 
There's a loving shepherd. And there's a faithful spouse. And there is a caring father. And they seek you. And they love you. And they, and they want to know you. You cannot read these three parables and come to any other conclusion. God seeks you. And he welcomes you into his kingdom. And may it be, may it be, that someday you might sit down at that great feast of which Jesus is at the head table and you can celebrate with him. Will you stand with me, please? Father God, by your Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love. We thank you we have a witness that our spirit testifies with your spirit that we are children of God. We thank you, God, that you care for this, this people. I ask God that you would be with those, whether they're here in person or watching online. And Father, that maybe someone this morning would bow their head and say, Father, I know that you're seeking me. I'm here. Find me, take me. Redeem me and use me for your glory. And Lord, we will thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.